Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. And uh, turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's join together for prayer as we do. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word, and we thank You for this time that You've given us to come together. And Lord, we praise You for our answered prayers. And Lord, we just thank You so much for uh, those who have needed prayer, that have offered up uh, their burdens to You. And Lord, we thank You for the fact that You allow us to to come before You with our needs and to be able to lay them at Your feet and uh, know that You uh, care for us and will answer our prayers. And Lord Father, we praise You and thank You for all that You do. Lord, we thank You for uh, uh, hearing us and allowing us to come uh, to You with our needs. And Lord, we just pray that You'll bless us now as we uh, study Your Word. Lord, help us to be faithful to live out your desire in in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to continue in our study of uh, the book of Ephesians. And uh, we have uh, come a long way in our study of Ephesians. And we have come to uh, chapter 6. It's the end of the book. And and, uh, although it's the end of the book, uh, it is the culmination of all the study that, that we have been looking at in the book of Ephesians. It, it's been uh, Paul's desire to teach the Ephes- uh, Ephesus church of what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian. And in this world with all the different messages of religion and all the different uh, 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 voices that are out there, it's important for us to be mindful of what it means to be a Christian and who is a Christian and how do we understand Christianity in our life today and how do we live that uh, Christian life. And if you'll remember as we studied, we looked at at uh, what Paul laid out, and he said, "This is what it means to be a Christian. This is the uh, this is the standard for what Christ has called us to do." And then he laid out for us a, a way of of achieving that, and saying, "Okay, if this is what a Christian is, this is what we must do in order to be a Christian." He said, "We need to walk in the light. We need to walk in Jesus Christ. We need to live a life that is." according to God's desire in our life and we need to do the things that God calls us to do and he reminded us over and over again not just how it, or what it means to be a Christian and how to live that Christian life but then he shared with us okay uh, this is how you live it out this is how you uh, uh, take on uh, this role of a Christian in your life and this is how uh, this is what it means to live it out. He said, "You need to uh, husbands, you need to love your wife, and uh, wives, you need to uh, obey your husbands and love your husband uh, in obedience as obedience unto God. And husbands, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave Himself for the church. And you need to love your wife with a sacrificial love. And He said, uh, not only do you, uh, husbands and wives need to have a good relationship together." 
But parents, you need to have a good relationship to your children. Children, you need to obey your parents and do the things that your parents tell you to do and live out your life in obedience and growing in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then parents, you need to be sure that you do the things that, that will encourage your children to grow up in the, in the love of Jesus Christ, to grow in an understanding of who Jesus Christ is in their life and not to provoke them to, to uh, rebel against Christ, but rather to love and embrace Christ. And uh, so we saw that all of those relationships had uh, God's desire uh, and design in them. And, and then he says, not only that, but in your relationships outside the home, in your relationship to your employer, you need to have a Christ-like nature. And you need to, uh, if you are a servant to someone who is uh, uh, over you, uh, if you are working in an environment where uh, you feel like you are having difficulty, you need to be obedient to your uh, to the person that is your boss. Do everything you can. Work as unto Christ. Do everything you can to serve Christ by uh, doing all of the work that you do, not for your boss, not for yourself, but do it as if you are doing it for Christ and doing everything you can to, uh, to portray your devotion to Christ and all that you do. And then he says, and uh, employers, bosses, masters, you need to have the responsibility of demonstrating the love of God demonstrating the kind of relationship that God has towards us by, uh, by demonstrating uh, the fact that you are forbearing, You're, uh, you allow uh, for thir- certain things to happen and uh, without coming down hard and strong, uh, you do your utmost to build up your employer, build up the person that uh, works for you, do everything you can to support them and encourage them. And so we've seen all of the things that what it means to be a Christian, uh, what how to recognize a Christian in life, uh, how to understand what being a Christian means, uh, what kind of life that, that Christ is calling us to live, and then examples of how to do that. Now we come to the part where now that we have seen what it means to be a Christian, we need to understand how to live it, how to uh, go about life and to be forewarned about the fact that if we're going to live for Christ, if we're going to do everything we can to serve Him, if we're going to do all our utmost to walk in the light, to do the things that Christ calls us to do, you need to be forewarned that Satan is going to come after you, that you're in a spiritual battle, that you are uh, endure, you're going to endure hard times and difficult times. Satan will attack you and come against you. Look with me in chapter 6, and we come to verse 10. He says, finally. And this is not some, uh, just some kind of proscript. It's not just something that he kind of tacks on there. He says, finally, meaning uh, this is the culmination. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He says you need to be aware of the fact that if you are a Christian, if you're trying to live your life and do the right thing, if you're trying to resist temptation in your life, if you're trying to resist a sin in your life that has, been, has, has had you by the nose and has been leading you around 
and you're trying to live and walk as Christ would have you to walk, you need to be aware that you are going to come under attack from Satan. You need to be aware that if you are a child of God that is trying to live your life according to the Word of God, to stay and be a student of the Word of God, to to model your life out of the design of what Christ has for you, then you're going to come under attack. In fact, there's been some preachers and some uh, that uh, have... Uh, uh, scholars talked about this uh, passage of Scripture and they contend that if you aren't being attacked by Satan, if you aren't coming under a struggle, if you're not facing temptation and difficulties in your life, then you need to question whether or not you truly are a child of God. Because a true child of God, someone who is devoting themselves to living for Christ, devoting themselves to doing their utmost for Him, doing everything they can in all of their ways, to walk in the way in which Christ would have us to walk, then we're going to come under attack. And we need to be aware of that. Uh, uh, We're told uh, that soldiers for Christ are constantly being uh, assaulted by temptation. If we're living for God, then Satan is going to oppose us. Ephesians uh, 6.12, verse 12 says that we we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Look, this is not a metaphor. This is not symbolism. This is not uh, uh, a simile or anything like that. This is not descriptive uh, 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 writing. This is literal. Paul is saying you need to be aware that you are going to come under attack. When God uh, is using us and when God is, is seeking to lead us in the right direction, then we're going to come under assault. James chapter 4 says that we need to per- persist uh, against the devil and he will flee, against you, uh, flee from you. You need to resist the devil. Persist in your walk. Live according to God's desire. Resist the devil and he will flee. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says... Be uh, sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's in the process of going about looking for those that are seeking to live for Christ, looking for those who are trying to live and walk according to God's way. And he's like a lion when he finds his prey, when he catches the one that that he's going to, tear down he sits there and roars proclaiming his victory 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says uh, encourages us do not be ignorant he says uh, in verse 11 let Satan, uh, lest Satan should get an advantage over us for we are not ignorant of his devices he says don't be ignorant He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and the door was open unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. He says, look, I came, I sought to work, I sought to do everything I could. He says, but I was constantly in a battle. 
And whenever we do God's work, whenever we seek to serve Him, whenever we seek to live for God, we're going to come against uh, Satan and we're going to battle. Acts chapter 20 says, I know that after my departure that grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock, and of your own selves shall enter teaching uh, perverse things. Down in verse 31 he says, And therefore I have not ceased to warn you night and day. He says, I have been warning you constantly that those who seek to destroy, those who seek to come in and to infiltrate, those who seek to, to, to come amongst you and, and create chaos have been hard at work. And he says, I've been praying for you. I've been uh, uh, warning you. I've been uh, reaching out to you and, and you need to be aware of this. He says, when God uses us, Satan will attack. And we must be ready. That is the message of this passage of Scripture. Paul is sharing with us, he says, uh, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So if we're going to be strong in the Lord and powerful and mighty and be able to withstand the devil, and if we're going to be able to do this, we need to understand exactly what it is that Satan's going to do against us. Now, we're familiar with the fact that uh, uh, whenever we are seeking to serve God, whenever we're seeking to do His will, that Satan will uh, bring all kinds of temptation against us and cause us to, to, to be uh, distracted by, by those things. But we need to be, understand that, that we're not alone. The Bible shares with us that, look, we're a part of a body. We're the body of Christ, that, that there's not one of us more important than another, that if we're a part of the body of Christ, then some of us are, uh, 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 Paul uses the analogy, some of us are a nose, some of us are an ear, some of us are, are uh, a mouth, some of us are a foot, uh, but we're all valuable and, and we need to be, uh, serving God and doing our utmost to live for Him and to, to exalt Christ. And, and we need to be aware of the fact that when we are a part of the body of Christ, whenever one of us is, uh, is uh, threatened by Satan, when one of us is tempted by Satan, we all uh, are in danger of allowing our, our service to God, our, our ministry in this church of being destroyed. And so many churches have... Listen, I, it, it has troubled me over the last couple of years. Before, and, and a couple of years ago, if, if somebody had stood up and said, uh, we're going uh, to pass a law, we're going to pass uh, a, uh, a change to the amendment of, to the Constitution, we're going to say it's against the law to go to church, and we're going to say it's against the law to stand up and to preach. We're going to say it's against the law to get together and sing uh, songs of worship and praise to, to a God that so many people don't believe in anymore. And we're going to do all these things and just wipe out the church. We would have said, that's ridiculous. We'll, we would have gotten up in arms. We would have fought against it. We would have done everything we could to... Uh, to rebuke that kind of thing. But uh, then uh, coronavirus came in and, and all of a sudden churches left and right were closing their doors 
uh, churches left and right were, were uh, saying, well, we're not going to get together and sing our songs anymore because we're afraid of, of what kind of thing might be happening when we sing our songs. And we're, gonna be, uh, we're not going to embrace one another and fellowship and, and love and, and support one another and encourage one another because uh, uh, we're afraid of what it's going to do if, we're, if we get too close to one another. We need to stand strong in the Lord. We need to be faithful to God and, and do our utmost to, to do everything we can to serve Him and to, and to honor Him and glorify Him and not allow ourselves to live in fear. We need to come together and be faithful and strong. So how does Satan come against us? What are the things that Satan does? What, how does Satan attack us? Well, for us to get a good, uh, good example of, of the destruction that happens within a church, I want to ask you to, uh, to take a moment and turn over to the book of Revelation with me, the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. And believe me, on Wednesday night we've been studying the book of Revelation for quite some time, and it's been quite a time since we've been at the first part of the book of Revelation. But I want to point out to you the letters that... Uh, John writes to these uh, to several churches at the very beginning. These are messages that come from Jesus Christ Himself. Uh, the Bible shares with us that in John, as he sees this revelation, he sees a figure amongst the lampstands, and uh, and he uh, uh, professes things, messages to these churches. The lampstands are uh, these churches, and. Uh, the individual that's in the midst of them is Jesus Christ, and he's uh, 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 sending a message through John to these churches. And we need to see the message that Jesus is saying to these churches because uh, even while these were specific churches in Asia that uh, were along a circuitous uh, uh, mail route and they were kind of representative of all churches. They were specific churches. And the very first one that we look at is the church at Ephesus. And the reason we're looking here is because, guess what? We've been studying this particular message that Paul's been writing to this church this work he's been faithfully trying to, to accomplish in this particular church. Now at the end of time, we come to uh, uh, looking at the effectiveness of Paul's ministry and the effectiveness of what God was seeking to accomplish in this church. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, "...unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things hath uh, holden and the seven stars in his right hand." who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, this is the message from Jesus Christ who's, who's uh, in this vision of holding uh, the seven stars in the midst of the candlesticks. He's the one with authority. He says, I know thy works, verse 2, and thy labor and thy practice, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast uh, tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them as liars, and has borne and has patience, and have and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. He says, Look, I know everything that you've been doing, 
church at Ephesus. I know all the things that you've been doing and you've been faithful. You've been working hard. You've been rooting out those who would come in amongst you and share false doctrine and false teachings. You have uh, been sure to to uh, live the Christian lifestyle. You've been doing your utmost to, uh, to uh, serve God. He says, nevertheless, verse 4, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast lost thy first love. He says, you've lost your passion. And unfortunately, this is the greatest example of the modern church today. The greatest threat of Satan against the church is not that they would stop meeting, not that they would stop coming and preaching the Word, not that they would stop uh, uh, doing all the programs and all the different things that they've been doing. Uh, you know, they, they certainly don't want to stop the sweet little old lady that's been coming to church that has... Uh, perfect attendance pins all the way down to the floor. We uh, certainly don't want to stop her from uh, getting another perfect attendance pin. But he says, there's something wrong. (coughs) You have something so wrong, you've lost your passion. You've lost the zeal that you once had for God. You're going through the motions. And God's not there. You're not, uh, you're not excited about living for Jesus. You're not doing the things that, <coughs> that God's called you to do out of love and devotion to God. You're just <coughs> excuse me, you're just doing all those things, because that's what everybody's always done before. You've lost your passion. You lost your love. He says, Remember, verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do your first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. He says, Remember what you did before. Remember the, the lessons that you learned. Remember the love that God has poured out into your heart. Remember why you're here. It's not to, to look pretty and, and show the rest of the community that you're a good person by being in attendance. Remember that you're here because you love God. Remember you're here because you have a passion for serving God, not just simply coming and sitting here for an hour, getting a check mark by your name and going home. Remember the things that you learned when you were first a child of God. Remember those things. Then repent of the things that you've been doing. Repent of the sin that's crept in. Repent of those things that have have crept in and, and stolen your love, stolen your first joy in Jesus Christ. And He says, and then go back and do the things that God called you to do. Do those things in a passion and a love for Jesus Christ, in a, in a love for God, and do those things as God has called you to do. Well, that's the Ephesian church that was on the cusp of, of doing all the right things, but still having a little difficulty. And then he says to the church at Pergamos, 
drop down past uh, Smyrna, go on down to the church at Pergamos. Go past Thyatira. He says in verse 13, I know thy works, and I know where thou hast dwelt, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. He says, I understand. I know your works. You've kept the faith and you've kept... Uh, look, Pergamos was a town that, that there was a great temple there with a giant uh, idol of Zeus. They had a great big throne where Zeus was supposed to have sat in their midst. And all kinds of evil came with the worship of Zeus. And Jesus Christ calls that the seat of the devil. Not only that, in Pergamos there was also a, a another, uh, they had their own god and they worshipped this their own god and it was a serpent god. And it was said that this God brought healing, the God of Pergamos. And people would come and they would lay in the, in the, the uh, church to this false God and they would allow serpents to crawl all over their body and allow all these snakes, these non-venomous snakes, to crawl all over the place. By the way, we still have influence of this false worship. It is the same if you look at the medical symbol. Even to this day, it's a staff with what? Wrapped around with the serpent. And that is the uh, reference to this false worship of this God in Pergamos that supposedly brings healing. But he says in verse 14, he says, you, look, you have kept your faith. You've been working hard not to deny my faith. This is a tiny, small church in Pergamos that in the midst of all of this wretchedness, all this evil, all this worship of false gods and all of the, the sin, they've kept their faith. He says, oh, but verse 14, I have something against you. I have something that you need to be aware of. He says, verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolites, which thing I hate. He says, you have fellowship with those who are in darkness. You've allowed the fellowship of those who are in sin to come amongst you. The church was doing right all along, but uh, the rest of the world was was doing all the sinful stuff and instead of rebuking the sin of 
those who were worship, worshiping Balaam and those who had taught Balak, instead of rebuking them and, and saying that they were doing wrong, they said, well, you know, it's not too bad. They allowed the influence of these who were doing evil in God's sight, these who were sinning against God, and they were, uh, he was, uh, they were allowing them into their fellowship. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says we're not to allow that uh, type of fellowship. We're not even to touch upon it, meaning we're not to even come close. Look, the, how does that uh, illustrate in the, uh, in the world today? We've got churches today that are professing to be uh, churches that stand for Jesus Christ, stand for the Bible, stand for God's Word, and yet they are uh, acknowledging the sin of this world and saying, you know, there's nothing really wrong with those who are engaging in these things like homosexuality and uh, these people that are uh, in the entertainment industry and doing things that... Uh, that uh, normally would be a perversion to God, and yet they, you say, well, you know, they're, they're people in the entertainment world. You know, they're a little different from us. They, uh, they, uh, they can go and sleep around with all kinds of people and, and all that kind of stuff, but when they want to come and talk in the church, oh, we'll get all giddy and, and like a little schoolgirl and, and welcome them in and not say a word about all the bad things that they're doing and all the things that we know that is wrong. We allow, uh, we we talk about worshiping God and allowing uh, God to have control in our life, and yet we allow the perversions of this world to come into our minds and our thoughts through music. We allow these little doorways of entrance of of the perversion of the, of the world into our life. God says that we're not to tolerate those things. We're not, we're not to allow sin to come into our life through compromise. Then look at verse 18 to the next church. So you have a first, first you have the church at Ephesus and, and they were doing everything right. They were doing their utmost and, and yet they still had something that, that they needed to get right with God because they were still allowing sin into their life. They were still allowing uh, this entrance. And then you come to a next church that, that uh, allows fellowship with the world. Now Thyatira, verse 18. Turn to the angel of the church at Thyatira. Write these things. The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet are like a fine brass. I know thy works and thy charity, thy service and faith and patience and thy works. He says, look, you've got a lot of good works. In spite of all the good works that you've done, you're allowing sin to come in. Not only are they allowing a small door like uh, the church at Pergamum, but now they are allowing sinful people to come in. They allowed a prophetess, a fornicator, one who is uh, pulling people to, into fornication and committing uh, uh, all kinds of sin in their life. Allowed her to not only come in, but also to be teaching, leading the church. Next step, church of Sardis. Verse 
chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And to the angel of the church at Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. He says, look, to this church he says, look, you've got a good name, you, you got a good reputation, but you're dead. You're in a church in name only, basically. He says you're not alive. You're not a, a living, functioning church. You're dead. You're busy doing all kinds of activities. You're busy going about doing the things. You're having Sunday school. You're having church. You're, you're having all these organizations, youth meetings, and all these kind of things. But you're dead. You're dead. God is not there. <coughs> Verse 3, chapter 3 says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. Hold fast and repent. He says, look, it's not, it's not too late. <coughs> Again, he says, remember your lessons. Remember the doctrine, the teachings that brought you to Christ. Hold fast to them and repent. And he says, to the Laodicea church. This is the famous church that he mentions. The church at Laodicea. This church is a church that is neither hot nor cold. You're indifferent. You're apostate. You're lukewarm. You deny the Bible. You deny God. You deny Christ. Verse 17 says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knoweth not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy uh, gold tried to fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke, and be zealous, therefore, and repent. Again, he says, You have an opportunity. He says in verse 20, Before, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will uh, hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he will be with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me at my throne, even as I also overcame and I'm set down with my Father in His throne. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear. All of these messages, the church of Philadelphia, all of these churches that, that uh, have so many, so many things wrong with them, so walked away from God, have so lost their love, lost the desire to serve God, lost the, the will to live for Christ... He continues to say over and over and over again, remember your, your, the doctrine that you've been taught. Remember the things that brought you to Christ. Remember the love of God in your life. Remember the message that you heard and shared with you that caused you to love God. Repent of your evil ways and come back and start doing the things that you've been called to do. And he says, look, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and I'm trying to get in and I'm trying to 
to wake you up and trying to help you to understand that it's not too late. It's not too late. If you'll simply open the door, allow me to come in, allow me to help you to return to me. Repent. Come back to me. He says, I'll sup with you. I'll allow you to come and to be in fellowship with me. I'll allow you to sit on the throne with me. If you return, return. All of those churches, each one was a step further away from God. And yet Jesus is saying to them in the book of Revelation, come back. He's saying to us, come back. Come back to that first love. Look, we're going to be attacked by Satan. Bringing it back to Ephesians. We're going to be attacked. There's going to be all sorts of things. And as we saw in each of these churches, there was a slow progression of moving away from God. And that's the attack that Satan does against us. Each and everything, each and every step is not a major step. It's not a a total declaration of war against God, but it is a step that moves further and further away from God. And that's the war that we fight against Satan. That's the battle that we have against principalities and powers of this world that would draw us away from God. And Jesus is saying, remember, remember the things you have learned. Repent and turn back. Next time we come together, we'll see the the great uh, way in which God provides for us so that we can fight against the powers of this world. But God is calling us to come back. Remember His message to us. Repent and become active once again. And we still have time to serve God. We still have time to turn around this world. We still have time to be effective in serving God and being His people if we would simply engage in the battle, get into the midst of it, and return to God. Repent. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord, I praise You and thank You for Your great love. I thank You for the hope that is found in You, that is known in in the understanding that You desire for us to turn to You, to fight against the wiles of the devil, to, to return to service for You, to be passionate for You, not to be cold, not to be lukewarm, but to be passionate in service to You. Lord, lead us in the battle against Satan. Lead us to be fervent and desire to serve You in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.